Hello and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson. This week, talking to you with news from the United States and Peru and a see you in hell that is a dead fascist from Portugal. A lot of news stuff in the United States regarding the attempted coup by Donald Trump and his supporters earlier this year, January 6th. Uh, first of all, we have the ongoing testimony being brought to the United States House of Representatives um, by their like special commission on the January 6th attempted coup, which everybody continues to insist on calling the Capitol insurrection. What a fucking unwieldy phrase. Uh, it just also doesn't describe what occurred, you know, as an attempted coup, not like, you know, some like nameless formless uprising which which is what insurrection brings to my mind i realize that they say insurrection because that's what's in the constitution and because they're trying not to say the word coup but uh i'm just going to keep saying it because i think that it's more descriptive also it's just shorter rolls off the tongue better anyway so the house of representatives has this uh special commission on the attempted coup and it's a bipartisan commission uh, technically in that there are republicans on the commission uh, however, uh, they are never Trump people, uh, specifically Liz Cheney, who, if you've been listening to the podcast, uh, has been effectively ousted from the halls of power in the Republican Party because of her, well, specifically because she disagrees with uh, the Trump and mainstream GOP claim that the election was essentially stolen from Donald Trump. Uh, she disagrees with that, which is why she was willing to participate in this commission. In any case, so there's this commission, there's these hearings going on. Uh, just um, just this week, there have been a lot of uh, testimony, specifically from police officers uh, who were serving on the Capitol on January 6th. Um, and, you know, their testimony is, it's very moving. You know, they're talking about, um, being assaulted physically. They're talking about being verbally abused. Um, they're trying to, you know, gain public support and, uh, turn, uh, public support away from the people who participated in the coup. Uh, unfortunately, uh, they really have their work cut out for them. Um, a notable example of this is uh, a person who was, until he was identified, known as hashtag eye goucher. Uh, this was when um, people who are either on the left or are journalists or also law enforcement personnel were trying to get the identity of this guy. Uh, he was called the eye goucher because uh, as one of the rioters, one of the um, people participating in the coup, he uh, knocked a Capitol Police officer to the ground and appeared to be attempting to gouge out this officer's eyes with his hands. Uh, he was successfully identified, and it turns out that his name is uh, Thomas Webster, uh, a former NYPD cop uh, who actually used to defend the New York uh, mayoral offices and buildings. Uh, so he had a job not unlike uh, those of the uh, Capitol Police that you know, he was assaulting. Uh, this is all coming from the New York Times about this specific guy. Um, there's a lot of, you know, like liberal wrangling about how this former cop could have possibly done such a thing, right? Uh, but if you've been paying attention to this podcast or understand fascism or are just thinking about it in general, uh, you should not be surprised by this, right? Uh, this guy was a police officer. Police officers uh, tend to be relatively more nationalist and right-wing and it is also true that generally fascist organizations and fascist movements are disproportionately uh peopled by 
people who are either involved in the military or in law enforcement. Uh, and so the fact that a former cop was participating in a fascist coup, yeah, that's kind of not really a surprise. Uh, in fact, the whole process of this hearing is relatively confounding to me uh, as a scholar of fascism. Uh, the implication here is that some sort of truth-telling uh, will set the record straight and that that's how we can resolve this crisis. You know, usually the problem is presented as like, oh, people just don't know what happened or people don't understand how dangerous it was. And if only we can get this information out there, right, it'll change some minds. Um that's just not what's happening here. That, that, that's not how this works. Um, this is, this is not a moment to, you know, speak truth to power or something like that. This is a moment in which forces on the right wing in the United States used political violence in an attempt to intimidate <laughs> the legislature of the United States to prevent the ratification of an election that would install their opponent. Uh, this is a coup. Uh, this is, something that is already a major conflict, right? Like a lot of the possible like bipartisan ships have sailed here. Um, and it's not just because like, oh, we, you know, we're in these partisan silos and, you know, nobody's listening to each other anymore. That's not what's happening now. Uh, what's happening is that the forces of the right wing are literally organizing to kill people. Uh, that was what they were attempting to do on January 6th. They have already killed people. Uh, they are not going to stop organizing to this end. Uh, the former president, Donald Trump, is very clear about the fact that he thinks that what happened on January 6th is fully defensible and good. Um, raising, you know, like raising awareness about what happened is not going to change this. Um, instead, the left and the center need to essentially gear up to fight this kind of attempted power grab. Um, it's not something that's going to be changed by like, you know, raising awareness or, or, you know, airing all the problems that that's not how this is going to be solved. Additionally, in news about the attempted coup on January 6th, we have some uh, updates from the legal side, you know, um, of the, of the attempted coup. Um, this particular update is that the Department of Justice, the DOJ, has decided that it will not be defending Republican politicians who spoke at the rallies outside the Capitol building. Uh, specifically, uh, this relates to a series of lawsuits brought by Democratic congressmen, uh, Democratic members of Congress, uh, against Republican members of Congress and politicians who spoke at rallies outside the Capitol, essentially inciting this uh, particular mob to go and attempt this coup. Specifically, specifically, uh, we're talking about uh, Representative Mo Brooks, Mo Brooks of Alabama, who spoke at the rally and essentially was, you know, encouraging people to go and commit political violence uh, against members of Congress and against Vice President Mike Pence for his participation as, uh, you know, leader of the Senate uh, during the um, ratification of these election results. So in this lawsuit brought against these uh, members of Congress, these, these Republican members of Congress, Mo Brooks appealed and said like, hey, okay, I am a congressperson. I was acting under the, uh, you know, under my, my office as a member of Congress giving this speech. And so I've been sued uh, as a government employee 
essentially. And so that means that the Department of Justice is going to defend me. I want the Department of Justice to defend me against this lawsuit. And the DOJ has said, no, you were not acting as a member of Congress in this capacity. This was not a campaign event. This was a partisan event, which you attended as a private citizen, essentially. Uh, and so Mobrooks can, um, you know, he can appeal this decision and potentially get a judge to force the DOJ to defend him. But if that fails, it has major implications uh, for the legal side of this. And, you know, this is the sort of like wonky inside baseball part. So, so forgive me if you don't give a shit about this. Um, but what this would mean is that this would, this is the United States government saying, in fact, uh, the people who, uh, participated in this coup, the politicians who advocated for it, uh, the politicians who goaded on this particular political violence, specifically we're talking about Mo Brooks, but we're also talking about Rudy Giuliani and former president Donald Trump, that they were not acting as political officials at this time, that they were instead acting as partisans, essentially, um, that they cannot be defended by the government, that they don't have that particular kind of, not immunity, um, but that they weren't acting as government officials at this time, that that means that they're open up, that they're open to like a, an entirely different category of uh, prosecution and that they will specifically lack government defense against that prosecution. And that's a big deal. Just a quick update on a political situation I've talked about previously. Uh, this is in Peru. Uh, in Peru, um, President Pedro Castillo has been formally ratified as the president. Uh, this is after months of appeals by his opponent, uh, Keiko Fujimori, uh, the daughter of jailed former president of Peru and former dictator of Peru, Alberto Fujimori. Uh, this is after she appealed the election uh, in exactly the same way and with exactly the same rhetoric that Trump used. Um, so Castillo's um, ratification and his inauguration as the president of Peru ends that particular saga, uh, although Fujimori and her supporters are continuing to say that like, you know, the election was stolen from them using essentially exactly the same language that Trump and his supporters were using uh, in the United States earlier this year and that they continue to use. Going to close out this week's episode like I do every week with See You in Hell, a segment celebrating the death of a prominent right wing figure in history. This week is Antonio Giolivera Salazar, uh, who is the former dictator and uh, prime minister of Portugal. Salazar was born in Portugal in 1889 to a middling landowner farmer family, uh, but he did extremely well in school and uh, won for himself places in high school and university. Uh, he focused in university on economics and finance and was professor by age 25 and chair of the economics policy and finance department of the law school of the University of Coimbra, one of the leading universities of Portugal, both then and now. Uh, he was chair by the age of 28. Uh, this led to a series of prominent political positions uh, that he held throughout his life. Um, ultimately, he was in and out of various military governments as either the finance or the economic minister of Portugal. Uh, this time in Portugal, the country was going through a series of political turmoils and upheavals uh, that are too complicated to get into right now. Uh, but that particular form of turmoil ended in 1932 uh, when the president of Portugal appointed him as prime minister, um, a position that he would hold 
for decades um, until until 1968, an extremely long time, an extremely long tenure as prime minister. Salazar inaugurated a conservative Catholic and sort of like right-wing militarist and monarchist coalition, uh, sidelining the fascists as such um, and keeping uh, conservative Catholic monarchists, uh, but also fiscal conservatives uh, in the government. Uh, a similar political coalition was used by Engelbert Dolfus, uh, also dead this week in history, but I'm focusing on Salazar because, well, frankly, because he appears in my dissertation, so I know a little bit more about him. Um, Salazar's government was an earnest attempt uh, at corporate governance. Uh, I've talked about corporatism previously in this podcast. Uh, corporatism is essentially a conservative often associated with uh, the Catholic Church. Uh, it's a conservative form of political governance that assumes that society can be governed by its organic structures, you know, by its sort of like, quote, natural social formations. And so the idea is that people can be governed and represented as, you know, as mothers or by their profession um, or by their unions uh, and not necessarily by political parties or by precisely where they are from. Uh, Salazar claims that his government was based on Rerum Novarum and Cuadrisimo Año, uh, which are uh, papal encyclicals from the late 19th century uh, that really lay out in this particular form of conservative Catholic social teaching. Salazar and his supporters called this new government of Portugal the Estado Novo, the new state. Um, the thing is, Salazar was actually quite popular and successful. Um, he suppressed dissent uh, and suppressed electoral defeat uh, throughout many years of power, throughout his decades of office holding, and uh, was pretty successful at, you know, positioning Portugal as a as an economic power, as a growing moderate economic power in Europe. Uh, Portugal remained neutral during World War II uh, and used a system of secret police and uh, military suppression uh, in Portugal. Uh, and combined that with extremely brutal policies in Portugal's remaining uh, colonial claims uh, in Africa and also in India. Um, specifically, I'm talking about Mozambique and Angola. Salazar was prime minister of Portugal until 1968, uh, when a fall resulted in a cerebral hemorrhage. Uh, he was removed from office and hospitalized for a further two years, uh, where reports show that, you know, whenever he would occasionally uh, become lucid again, uh, he would be told by the orderlies and by other people around him uh, that he was still in power. And, you know, they, they, they would hide how long he had been in hospital. Salazar died this week in history of complications from the cerebral hemorrhage, uh, the 27th of July, 1970. So, Salazar, we will see you in hell. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, like, share, and subscribe. Uh, please leave a review or a comment on whatever it is that you're listening to this to on. Uh, and if you really like the podcast, uh, check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 Minutes of Fascism. That's 15 Minutes of Fascism, all one word. You can also reach me at 15 Minutes of Fascism at gmail.com. Uh, if I fucked up, if, you know, I made a mistake, if there's something that you're curious about and want to know more about. All right. I'll talk to you next week. 